You are listening to Meat and Potatoes, a 12-week teaching series from Jubilee Church. Meat and Potatoes is an expression used to convey the most important and basic part of an idea or practice. This series will explore some of the most critical elements of Christian faith. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. If you're new with us this morning, uh, we are in our Meat and Potatoes series. Essentially, our Meat and Potatoes series is uh, a series where we're taking as a church to come back to the foundations of uh, really what it means to be a Christ follower. And we're uh, in no way, shape, or form claiming that we're covering all the bases, but we're just saying uh, we're covering some of the bases. And really, all, what this is all about is that uh, we would be a church that is rooted and grounded on Jesus, and that we would be a church that is rooted and grounded on the essential things of the faith, and, and not a church that just... Uh, always looks at the garnishes of the plate or the dessert. I mean, it, those things are amazing. I love sweets. I love dessert. But it, it doesn't sustain us. It doesn't make us healthy to just do the garnishes and the dessert. It really makes us healthy to stick to the meat and the potatoes and add those things in uh, as much as we can, but not all the time. So, so this series is all about that. And, and last week, if you weren't with us, uh, Brian Mowry, our lead pastor, he, he preached on repentance. And if you didn't hear that message, I would just strongly encourage you, please listen to that message. I, I myself walked away from uh, last week recognizing that uh, I had some stuff in my heart that I needed to deal with. And I had some stuff in my heart that God was convicting me of and challenging me on. And my wife and I both, individually and uh, together as a couple, spent a lot of time last week uh, between Brian's message and preparing for this one, just sitting before God and saying, God, we've, got the, we've been kind of living life, you know? Like we come here on Sundays and we lift our hands and we sing songs and we shout your name, but there's some things kind of under the rug here that we haven't been dealing with. Maybe we didn't even recognize we're there, some of them. And as we came to God this past week and just saying, God, we, repentance feels like this real heavy thing. It feels like this thing that uh, just weighs down and the room gets sober when you say repentance. But repentance is really just turning away from one thing and turning to God. So when I say I repent, I'm not saying like, man, I did this huge thing that I'm so sorry. It could be. Repentance could also be, I just wasn't thinking about God in my daily life. And so I'm turning and saying, God, I want to think about you in my daily life. So repentance is a good thing. It's a blessed thing. And it's a thing that it's really good for our souls. And this, this whole thing about forgiveness, which we're going to be talking about today, is really similar in that sense. There can be things in our heart towards ourselves. There can be things in our heart towards other people that just kind of go under the radar. There could be things that are huge that we know are there that we're ignoring. But there, there can be things that just go under the radar that we don't pay attention to. And it can be unforgiveness towards ourselves. It could be not receiving God's forgiveness. It could be unforgiveness towards other people. And, and it, it binds us up and it locks us down. And it may be that you're coming in here this morning and you're feeling a little distant from God. Or you're feeling a, a little like His grace just isn't there for you like it was. Or maybe you're coming in and you're singing these songs and they just don't mean as much to you as they once did. Or, or you come on Sundays and you hear sermons and it just, it doesn't seem to impact your soul like you think it should. Or, or, or that joy you had when you first became a Christian, it's just not there like it once was. And I know for me, oftentimes in my life when that's the case, there's something under the surface. And it's usually centered around this issue of unforgiveness. It's usually centered around this thing that I'm either not receiving God's forgiveness for myself or I'm not giving God's forgiveness to other people. It locks us up, it puts us in prison, and it keeps us from really knowing his grace and mercy. I remember after a Sunday service just like this, we had a call for prayer that some people would come 
uh, who were sick and needed healing. And this lady came up and she said, I've been dealing with migraines for years. Years she's been dealing with intense migraines. And she came up and um, said, could you pray with me? And her mom was there. And, and so I prayed with her, with her mom. And as I began to pray for her migraines to be healed, I felt God told me, this woman has unforgiveness in her heart. And so I just asked her, I said, is there anybody you haven't forgiven? And she turned to her mom and they both started crying. And she said, I haven't forgiven my mom. And in that moment, she made the decision, I'm going to forgive my mom. She told her mom, I forgive you. They started bawling. And she turned to me and she said, I don't have a migraine. My, my, my migraine's completely gone. This, this root of bitterness that had went down into her heart was affecting her entire life. It was affecting her emotionally, spiritually, physically. And when she released that, it released this physical thing that was binding her up. Now, what that doesn't mean is that every time we're sick, there's something that we need to go find that we haven't forgiven. What it means is spiritual things affect everything else. We're not right with God. We're not right other places. And she wasn't right with her migraines because she wasn't right with God. And I don't think it's that this lady didn't know she needed to forgive her mom. It's that she had never forgiven her mom. Jesus says in John thirteen seventeen, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you... If you do them, my prayer for us today is that we would all walk out of here. If we're in a drought, if we're in a dry season in our walk with God, that we would walk out of here receiving his forgiveness for ourselves and giving his forgiveness to other people. That if there's anything that we're holding on to, that if there's anything in our lives that we're saying, I I cannot let that person off the hook. If there's anything in our own hearts, we're saying, God, I know you've forgiven me, but I can't receive this for myself. That we would leave it at the door. That we'd walk out of here a forgiven people. And we walk out of here a people who have completely forgiven all debts against us. That's my prayer for us today. That's my hope for us. And I can't think of anything that the Bible makes clear that we're called to do as believers than to forgive those who offend us. The Bible is just so clear about it. Luke six thirty six: be merciful even as your father is merciful to you. Matthew five twenty three. So if you're there offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift. So if you're coming here on Sunday mornings and raising your hands and shouting his name, if you're reading your Bible and you remember, oh no, there's unforgiveness in my heart towards someone. You remember, oh, my brother has unforgiveness towards me. Go first be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gifts. Put your hands down. Stop worshiping, stop reading, stop praying. It's not working. First go, reconcile with your brother and then come offer your gift. The Lord's Prayer The disciples said, Jesus, how do we pray? Jesus said, this is how you pray. Father, forgive us as we have forgiven others. Now, for me, that is kind of a crazy thing to pray because the truth is, if I were to pray that in the integrity of my heart, Father, forgive me as I've forgiven others, I would have to really check my heart, wouldn't I? I mean, we got to ask ourselves our question when we pray this stuff. God, do we really want this to happen, right? Because if we believe he answers our prayers and we say, Father, forgive me at the same way, the same means, the same degree that I've forgiven others we got to really check ourselves. Now, the scary thing is it's going to happen one way or another. The Bible is so clear that if we don't forgive others, he's not going to forgive us. Now, to be clear on that, I don't, forgiving someone's not the path to salvation. Forgiving someone's, you can't just forgive someone and become a Christian. Forgiving someone is the proof of our salvation, right? So I can't, I, there's, the Bible is so, so clear over and over and over again that there's no work that I can do to make me saved. Ephesians, Paul writes that it's by grace through faith that we're saved. Over and over and over again, it's by grace through faith in Jesus. It's only by looking to Jesus can I be forgiven of my sins and made right with him. 
but forgiveness is the proof of my salvation. It's this whole principle in Luke 6, 43. No, tr- no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree bears fruit of its own kind. So it's this whole principle that if I look at an orange, if I say, hey, there's an orange tree, I expect to see oranges, right? If I say, hey, look, there's an apple tree, I expect to see apples. If I say, there's a Christian, you expect to see Christ. And there's nothing that we can do. There's no more divine activity that we've been entrusted with as believers than that we can forgive other people. If he's a forgiving God, there's nothing that we can do to be more like Jesus than to extend forgiveness to other people. And there's nothing we can do to be more polar opposite. There's nothing we can do to be more f- a further away from a reflection of Jesus Christ than to withhold forgiveness from other people. When Jesus hung on the cross and his back and his body was destroyed by the whippings that he received. You see, the Jews, they whipped their prisoners 40 lashes minus one, 39 times. The Romans, they showed no such mercy. When the Romans whipped you, they whipped you, and they whipped you, and they whipped you. Many people would die during their whippings. They whipped you until they couldn't handle it anymore, until they were out of breath and exhausted. And as Jesus hung on that cross, and he looked at the men who were murdering him, And he looked at the people who were spitting on him and mocking him and saying, you call yourself a son of God, you can't even get off this cross. You call yourself a son of God, why don't you call down your father to save you? He looked on the people who murdered him. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As he hung on that cross and he looked at his murders, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The reality of this is that it wasn't just those men who hung him on that cross, but it was you and I who also led him to that cross. The Bible says that he died for our sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. He hung on that cross for all of us. And when he looks on us, he says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Martin Luther says we carry around his nails in our pockets. It's your sin and my sin. Until we come to grips with that, until we come to grips with how awful our sin is, how depraved we are, how how filthy we are, or how we were before he saved us. Until we come to grips with that, we can never come to him. If you're here this morning and you've never become a Christian, or maybe you've been trying really hard to become a Christian, you've been trying really hard to clean up your life, you've been trying really hard to get right with God, let me just tell you, there's nothing you can do to make him love you. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right with him. He loves you because he chose to love you. He loves you because he shows mercy to you. And it's only by being born again. It's only by coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, forgive me, make me a new man. It's the only way that we can become his. I can't become his by working hard. I can't become his by striving. I can only become his if I come to him and say, Jesus, I need mercy. I need you to save me. In that moment, he says he makes me his son, makes me his brother, I'm a son of the Father because of his mercy alone. Matthew, so Jesus is telling this story in Matthew 18. And he's telling this story about a king and a servant and another servant. And he tells this story not to minimize the pain that we've experienced, not to minimize the offenses we've went through, but he tells this story to maximize what he's going to do for us on the cross. And when you look at the context of Matthew 18, as Jesus leads up to this story, what he's appealing to the church, what he's appealing to the the believers to do is he's saying, I want you to reconcile, reconcile, reconcile. If anything ever comes between you, I want you to come back together. As the Father's one, so I want you to be one. If anything gets between you, I want you to make it right. If anybody has has a sinful attitude, if anybody's doing wrong, if anybody's not loving one another, go to him, address it, make it right. Don't do anything that would cause division among you. Do everything you can to be reconciled. If somebody sins against you, forgive them. 
If they sin again, forgive them. If they sin again, forgive them. And Peter's hearing this. He's like, whoa, 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 Jesus, wait a minute. How many times does my brother have to sin against me and I still forgive him? And he's thinking while he's asking the question. Well, I know the Pharisees, they say, forgive your brother three times. The fourth time, you don't have to forgive him anymore. I know Jesus is going to hold me to a little higher standard than that. The number of completions, seven. Okay, I'm going to completely forgive my brother. Jesus, seven times do I have to forgive my brother, and then I can just be done with it? I can do away with this whole thing? I can kind of wash my hands of him? I've completely forgiven him seven times. Jesus says, no, 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 Peter. Seventy times seven. So it's Jesus like, okay, Peter, 70 times 7. I want really high standard. 490 times and then ding. You don't have to forgive him anymore. Wash your hands of him. You're done with him. No. Jesus is saying, just as you have been forgiven, Peter, without limit, so forgive your brother without limit. It's a hyperbole. Peter, as much as you can think to forgive your brother, forgive him more. Never stop forgiving your brother. Have I ever stopped forgiving you, Peter? No, no, no. Never stop forgiving your brother. Jesus goes on to tell this story about this king. And this, this king represents Jesus. And he, he says there's this servant that owes this king an incredible sum of money. That servant represents us. And then there's this third-party servant who owes the first servant an amount of money. And it's a sizable amount of money, but it's nowhere compared to what this servant owes the king. So this servant owes this servant, and this servant owes the king. And he tells this story. And verse 27 gives an outline for what I want to say. If you've got your Bibles open, open up to Matthew 18, verse 27. If you don't, it should be on the screen for you here. Out of pity, I guess I'll wait for you to get there if you're turning. Matthew 18, verse 27. You there? Okay. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So what does it mean to forgive? Here's what it means to forgive. It means that we have pity on someone. Number one, we have pity or we have compassion. It's the same Greek word, It's interchangeable. Pity, compassion, pity, compassion. We have pity on the person, and we forgive them, and we release them. We have pity, and we we release them of everything they owe us. That's what it means to forgive. So step one, you have compassion on them. If you look at the emotional life of Jesus, this is the number one emotion that Jesus felt in his life. If you look at him through through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's the number one thing that he felt. I'll run you through a couple. Matthew 9, 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 14, 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Matthew 20, 34, and Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight. Mark 1, 41, moved with pity. Mark 8, 2, I have compassion on the crowd. Luke 7, 13, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Luke 10, 33, he came where he was and he saw him and he had compassion You just go on and on and on and on and on. This is the number one emotion that Jesus felt in his life. He saw people and he had pity on them. He saw people and he had compassion on them. He sees us and he has compassion on us. He sees our offender and he has compassion on them. It's in Hebrews 4 that the author of Hebrews says, we do not have a great high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus isn't this high priest who's unable to sympathize with us. He's not this high priest looking down on us saying, why don't you perform a little better? Why don't you do a little more? Why don't you make yourself like me? He knows that we can never make ourselves like him. He became a man. He entered into flesh. He became a human being so that he could sympathize with us, so that he would know what it was like to be us. And he's been tempted in every way that we were tempted so that he could sympathize with us in our life. And what the scripture's saying to us, what the command to us as believers is, 
is that if we have an offense against someone else, God's call to us on our lives is to have compassion on them and to sympathize with them as Jesus has sympathized with us. Now, our heart's tendency is going to be to see the differences, right? When somebody offends us, we're going to look directly at the differences. It's our natural inclination. So I think, he said this. I would never say that. He did this to me. I would never do that to anybody. They, they, they treated me like that. How could you ever treat a human being like that? My boss responded like that. How could you respond like that in that position of authority? My parents were like this. I would never be that bad of a parent. But to sympathize is to say, he said this. Apart from God's grace, I think I could have said it too. He did this. Apart from God's grace, I think I could have done it too. My boss treated me like that. My parents treated me like that. Apart from God's grace, I would treat people like that too. Now here comes the problem is that in our pride and our arrogance, we look to God and we say, God, I would never be like that. We think of ourselves more highly than we ought. We think of ourselves and we think, I could never do that to a single soul. Even if I didn't know Jesus, I wouldn't act like them. But what Ephesians 2 tells us is that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we belonged to the kingdom of darkness, which means that we were handed over to Satan to do whatever he wanted us to do. Until you're born again, until you come to a place of receiving Jesus, entrusting him with your life, being born again, being filled with his spirit, you're handed over to Satan to do whatever he wants you to do. That means we could murder someone, we could rape someone, we could hurt children. It means we could do the whole gamut of things that we couldn't think imaginable. The fact that we haven't done it is just by his grace. It's just because he's kept us from doing it, because he put something in us that kept us from doing it. We didn't put that in ourselves. We weren't, we had no control over what we've kept ourselves from doing. It's by his grace alone. And when he saves us and he regenerates our heart and he makes us a new person, that's why we're transformed. That's why we have life like this. If you're in this room and you were raised a Christian and you became a Christian at a very young age, you're so blessed for that. You, you don't know what it's, it, you may look on people and judge them because you see what they do and you think, how could any human being ever do that? But you've had a heart that's followed Jesus for a long time. I didn't know Jesus until I was 17 years old. There's things that I do that I look back on and I regret and I think, how could I have ever done that? But the reality is the reason I could do it is because I didn't know him. And no matter how far and how dark and how corrupt somebody is, if they don't know him, it's no wonder that they did that. It's no wonder. They didn't know his grace or his mercy. Without his grace, we'd all be like that. And if we can't sympathize with one another, it's really due to our own pride, not recognizing that we could have done the same thing. Tim Keller says, unforgiveness, unforgiveness is a failure to include my offender in the community of humans and a failure to include myself in the community of sinners. I, I hurt and offended a lot of people before I was a Christian. I hope now that I've become a Christian, I've hurt and offended less people, but I don't know. I hope you guys are probably like, you offended me, dude. <laughs> hurt and offended a lot of people before I was a Christian. And, and I did that because I was a hurting man. I, I broke a lot of people's spirit before I was a Christian. And I did that because I had a broken spirit. And now Jesus says to us, you've been forgiven much. Now you go and forgive. We act out of who we are. If we know that we're a forgiven people, it just makes sense for us to forgive other people. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do these things. Number one, to forgive someone is to have compassion. Number two, to forgive someone is to cancel a debt. This is a story ultimately about a king who settled accounts and forgave a servant that owed him an insurmountable 
amount of money. The, the, the parable tells us that he owed 10,000 talents. And a talent was a sum of money. Uh, one talent was equal to 20 years' wages. So this was comparable to about $6 billion in today's time. If um, he owed 10,000 talents and it was about 20 years' wages, that's 200,000 years it would have taken the average man to pay off this sum of money. So it's a crazy amount of money. The interest alone just kills you. <laughs> if he were to try and pay it off, It would take him 3,000 lifetimes to work from the day he was born until the day he died and give every single uh, penny that he earned to the king. That's 300 times more than the average cat. I mean, I don't know what this guy thinks he is, but he does not have 3,000 lifetimes, right? And so the translation of this is he owes this king an unpayable debt. And the translation for us, because we represent this servant, is that we owe God an unpayable debt. We owe him a debt that we could never pay back. And what's ridiculous, I think this is the most ridiculous thing about this entire story. This servant does not come to the king. He falls on his knees and I'm thinking, okay, he gets it. He's done. He's toast, right? He falls on his knees and he says, oh king, please give me patience and I'll pay you back. You're like, give me patience, dude. 3,000 lifetimes. Give me patience. What are you talking about? You don't need patience. You need like loads of mercy, right? I mean, if this guy doesn't give you mercy, you're, you're toast, The king actually begins to throw this servant and his entire family into slavery, into prisoner's debt so that they could pay off, so he could get what he needed to out of slavery for them and try and recover some of the costs that this servant has owed him. And the guy falls on his knees and says, give me patience. The the king's got to be looking at him thinking, you're ridiculous. Give me patience? What the king does is he has compassion on this man. He looks on him and he says, I'll give you mercy. But you and I, we come to God like this oftentimes. I know I do at least. I come to God and I have, this, I have some problems in my life that I need fixed. And, and I know I did this before I became a Christian for sure. Came to God with these problems I need fixed and I say, Oh God, if you just fix this, if you just get me out of this, if you just change this, I'll serve you. I'll love you. I'll worship you. Oh God, if you just give me some patience, I'll make this all right. In the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son ran away from his dad's home. And he, he, he spent his entire inheritance and he finally came to his senses after he ruined his entire life. He thought, you know what, I, I know I can't ever be my dad's son again because I've ruined that, but I'll come back and I'll just be a servant in his house. It's kind of how we come to God like this servant. God, just give me patience. Just let me be a servant. Just let me do some things to make up for what I've done. Patience is not going to help us at all. We need mercy. Grace is that you don't get what you do deserve. So grace is you don't deserve anything and I give you $10,000. Mercy is that we don't get what we do deserve. Mercy is I owe him $6 billion. I owe him 3,000 lifetimes plus. I could never pay it. But on the cross, he gave me mercy. On the cross, the father sent his son that I would have mercy, that you would have mercy And most people who sin against us, they're not going to come to us begging on their knees saying, give me mercy. We have this misconception about forgiveness that I'll forgive them when they recognize how badly they've offended me. I'll forgive them when they realize how much this hurts. I'll, I'll forgive them when they come begging for my apology. But there's a news flash for us is that they're never coming. They never have come. They never will come. The majority of the people who offend us don't even know that they offended us. They didn't look, they didn't smile at me when I walked in the room. They didn't call. They didn't, 
meet my expectations. They weren't the friend I hoped they would be. He didn't do what he said he would do. They don't even know. They don't even know they've offended us. Some people know they've offended us and they don't care. And unless we think we're always the ones being offended, the reality is we probably don't realize how much we owe either. We are probably offending people all the time and don't even realize it in our own life. And here's the great thing about God is that he does not, he does not wait until we recognize how much we owe and we come begging for mercy to do something about it. Ephesians 2 says that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. It wasn't when I cleaned my life up. It wasn't when I got everything right. It wasn't when I came begging for mercy. Romans 5 says that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. While I was yet a sinner, he died for me. When I was going out and sinning abundantly, when I was at the worst of my worst as a human being, when you were at the worst of your worst as a human being, he sent his son. The father looked on us and he said, they're a mess. Son, you've got to go. They're a mess. Son, you've got to go. The father looked on us as we were offending him, as we were spitting in his face, doing all these sins against him. He said, son, you have to go. I love them. We've got to rescue these people. We've got to pull them out of their bondage. They're, they're toast without us. We've got to go and get them for ourselves. I don't know about you, but I'm glad. I'm so glad that he didn't wait for me to clean up my act. He didn't wait for me to think rightly about this, but he sent his son while I was still a sinner. 2,000 plus years before I ever realized that I would do anything wrong against God, he's sending his son to deal with it. It may be a lifetime. It may be after their lifetime that someone realizes they've offended you and done you wrong. But the thing you can do to be like Jesus in your life today is to extend mercy and grace to them. You probably won't even have to go and tell them, I forgive you, because they may look at you like, forgive me for what? But dealing with God, we come to him, say, oh God, I release this person. I'm never going to bring it up again. I'm never going to speak of it again. I'm never going to tell I'm not going to bring it up to shame them. I'm not going to bring it up among other people to shame them. This is the problem. We want people to pay for their sin. We think, okay, I'm not getting them off the hook that easy. I'm going to shun them. I'm going to emotionally detach from them. I'm going to avoid them. I'm going to gossip about them. I'm going to tell people how awful they are because I want them to pay. But when we look at the cross and we realize he paid it all for us, that becomes not an option. That becomes not an option for us. This, this, the second servant in this story owed the forgiven servant 100 denarii, or 100 denarii would be equal to about $15,000 today. I don't know about you, but $15,000 sounds pretty nice to me right now. I could buy some stuff with $15,000, right? I could get that car I needed. I could put a down payment on a house. I, could, I have a lot of ideas if someone would pay me back $15,000. That money's important to me, and what... What I think this highlights for us in this story is that God's not saying nothing happened. God's not saying that you weren't offended, you weren't hurt, you need to just act like nothing happened, you need to just erase it from your memory, you need to, you know, I don't know how the saying goes, but forget and be gone or, you know, whatever. You just, you just erase it from existence like it never happened and act like you're not offended and you're not hurt. God's not saying that. This is a, this is a pretty significant sum of money. But what God is saying is, the, the, the point of the story isn't that they owe us $15,000 or even that they owe us $100,000. Some of you in this room, you have had some awful things done to you. You've had some things done to you that I cannot imagine, that I can't think of. 
The point of the story isn't that no one's hurt you. The point of the story is, man, we've offended him so much more. He forgave us. He showed us mercy. Okay, God, you've shown me this mercy. You treated me like this. I can show them mercy. I can let them off the hook for what they've done. Verse 26, the wicked servant implored the king, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. Verse 29, the same language is used. Have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. The king forgave the debt. The wicked servant choked his debtor. He threw him in prison. We have a decision today. We can be like the king. We can be like this wicked servant and withhold forgiveness. A few practicals before we close this morning. We grant forgiveness before we feel it. If we wait to feel like forgiving someone before we do it, we'll never grant forgiveness. I have never felt like forgiving someone who's done me wrong. Especially if it's a big thing, you don't feel like forgiving them. Forgiveness is an act of the will, not an act of the emotion. We choose to forgive and the emotions follow. One day, maybe we'll feel right. But when we make the decision, I'm going to let them go. I'm going to release them. God, you bless them. That's a hard thing to pray. God, you bless them. No, no, I'm going to release them from this. Never again. I make the decision today. It's done. It's over. It's forgiven. Slate is clean. It's a decision we make. Another misconception we have, if I can't forget this thing, if I can't erase it from my memory, then how can I ever forgive? Well, it's it's just the opposite. It's actually as we forgive that we're able to begin forgetting about it. Forgiveness is this decision that we make to to fume, fume over it, to keep replaying it in our minds and getting angry and mad and thinking about it and reminding the person when we see them, man, you've done me wrong. Reminding ourselves, I could never let this go. But it's when we make the decision to forgive The Bible says that Jesus cast our sins as far as the east is from the west, that we could never find them again. Never going to find my sins again. We make the decision to forgive someone. We make the decision, I'm never going to find that again. Does it mean that it it won't come to mind? No, it doesn't mean it won't come to mind. Does it mean that we actually forget it, that we can erase it? No, we can't. Most of us probably can't do that. But it's making a decision. I'm letting it go. Another misconception we have is that time heals all wounds. And this is just a straight out lie from the enemy. Time doesn't heal anything. All that time does is that it allows this root of bitterness to go deeper and deeper and deeper in our hearts and get stronger and stronger. And those roots grow out. Think about a tree planted in your yard. The longer you wait, the bigger it gets. The only way to get rid of that thing is to root it up. And the only way to root it up is by forgiving. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I just want to take a moment here and recognize the fact that some of you who I mentioned earlier that have had things done to you that I, I can't imagine, I probably can't sympathize with, I, ca- I can't come close to relating to you, I would never say to you, I know how you feel because I don't know how you feel. I just want to take a moment to say to you that Jesus is your great high priest, that he can sympathize with you. I, I know some statistics about sexual sin in our culture, and I know that there is sexual abuse rampant in our culture. And I know that some of you sit in this room as those who have been sexually assaulted, maybe even raped. And I just want to tell you that Jesus can sympathize with you. He was stripped naked by filthy men who laid their hands on him, who abused him, who shamed him, who spit on him, who treated his body like just something to abuse. 
he can sympathize with you. Some of you men or ladies, you've, you've sexually assaulted somebody. You've been the offender in this. Jesus hung on that cross to forgive your sins. You can live this life without shame, without guilt, because he died for you. Some of you have parents that are authority figures in your life that hated you. They completely hated you. They, they despised you. They rejected you. They were never grateful for you. They never said good job. They were never proud to have you. You know this. You felt this. When Jesus hung on that cross, the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. When the Father looked at him, he was disgusted with him. When the Father looked at him, he despised him. He hated what he had become. But it says that Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? The Son, who knew the Father's love, who previously the Father had said, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased, he hung on the cross and he said, why have you forsaken me? And he did that so that you and I would never know the rejection of God. He did that so that you and I could have a father who says to us, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved daughter with whom I'm well pleased. This morning as we come to him, he's wanting to say over us, you're my beloved. You're my beloved. I don't reject you. I accept you. I don't push you away. I draw you in. I'm not. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. I created you. I knit you together in your mother's womb. They didn't want you, but I wanted you so badly, I made you. That's how the Father speaks to us. That's why Jesus went to the cross for us, so that we could know the Father's love like that. You have a high priest who can sympathize with you. I hope that that encourages you today. I want to bring Larry and Vicki Mowry up here. They've been a real, uh, just encouragement to me in this area. They've been an example to me of a couple that not only knows what it means to be forgiven by Jesus, but really to forgive others, especially when it hurts. So, uh, yeah, you guys, if you could share with us, we'd appreciate that. I have notes because by the time you get to my age, you tend to ramble. So. Um, but we had we had a there, there's something that um, we live with um, have for twelve thirteen years I guess um, and two of our children live with it as well um, in June of two thousand two uh, we came home from a weekend with some friends and. Um, our youngest told us that while we were away, um, that a trusted family friend who was spending the weekend at our house while we were gone, we trusted him that much, knew him for years, uh, had molested him. Um, and it was quite a shock, actually. Um, and um, so we went to the rest of our children and we asked, we thought, well, maybe this happened with our other children. And it happened with another one seven years before. Um, so it was, it was, it was, it was quite a shock for us. 
Um, we confronted the guy. We, we actually drove to Columbia, confronted the guy. And we actually thought, we, when we walked away from that, we thought some, um, uh, that we had, we, you know, we, we did what we thought we should do, confront him. He confessed it. Uh, we, we prayed with him. We thought that, and we, we told him what we thought he needed to do. We had a mutual friend who was a psychiatrist, and we wanted him to go see him. Uh, we wanted him to talk to the elders of his church. And we didn't, hadn't heard anything for two or three weeks. And um, so I called our mutual psychiatrist friend, and he said, yeah, he's seeing, he's seeing me but it's not for what you're talking about. So he, he lied to the, us about that. He never, we called the elders of the church. He never did that. Um, and I realized something at that point. I realized at that point that my forgiveness for him, because he was doing what I thought he was doing, was somewhat conditional. And when I found out he wasn't, I uh, became very angry. Very uh, bitter toward this man, um, and without going into the details behind the law, uh, the psychiatrist had to turn him in. So there, so this there was going to be a trial. This guy called us and said, "Hey, I want to plead not guilty. So would you not testify?" Um, uh, you know, I thought, what? <laughs> you want to deny? You want to deny this thing? You want to act as though it never happened? Um, Vicki, do you want to? Well, um, it was about a three-year process of a lot of situations and things going on. Um, we struggled with forgiving, we knew that we needed to forgive, but we knew that it wasn't within us to do that, so we've been, we were asking God. Uh, I remember specifically uh, Linda Lamperman um, asking what uh, they could do, and I said, well, just pray, pray that our hearts would be right. Um, anyway, we went through the, the trial, and um, um I don't know. It, it was, uh, to me, it was such um, kind of a emotional upheaval that, um, anyway, I didn't experience any, any uh, specific uh, forgiveness at that time, but it was like God, at the end, God sovereignly, it was, it was like something I never experienced. Um, when he was given the sentence, I felt like just a, a real strong presence of God in the uh, courtroom. And um, I felt a compassion for him. I guess what, I never heard of uh, what the scripture that Dylan pointed out, but it was like I wanted to 
I felt bad for him, and I wanted to, you know, I had this urge to run to him afterwards and say, just humble yourself before God, because I felt like the prison sentence was just a small fraction of God's judgment on him because of his years of not repenting. But anyway, I was thankful. It was a gift of God that day that he allowed me to forgive him and have love and compassion for him as a human being. And then also there was other people, his mother, who was a a good friend of mine. The relationship had changed in that period of three years of this happening. And, um, but, um, about a year ago, had the great opportunity to, to see her and talk with her, and um, uh, it was um, it was good. And I I feel like that is, that area has been healed too. Um, I think a, a turning point for me in that whole ordeal was because he of not only did he want us to not testify, which just didn't just didn't compute and that he wanted to get out of the circumstances. He was also telling friends, slanting the story in such a way that we even had friends who were mad at us because of what we were doing to him. Um, so in wrestling with all that, just in, in, I just remember praying one time where I just felt like a question came into my mind, and I don't know how you are, but when a question comes into my mind, I feel like that's God talking. And um, the question was, if he asked me sincerely to forgive him, are you okay with that? And the second one was, if I choose to let him go, if I choose to decide that he has to bear no penalty or consequences with this, are you okay with that? Because I, th- and and I, I realized in all of that, I thought, you know, that's kind of the crux of forgiveness, kind of. That's what we have to be willing to do. So we have to be willing to do because God did it with us. But anyway, so we, you know, we, 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 we learned it was a process for us of forgiving. It was steps and steps and steps. It wasn't just all of a sudden, okay, we're forgiven, we're happy again, and everything's fine. No, it was a process. It took a lot of grace, took a lot of prayer. Um, but over the years, uh, especially the last few years, when I think of this man, I pray for him. And one of the things that's happened in my praying for him is I don't have the cold, indifferent attitude that I used to have. I actually have compassion for him. I have, a, I have a, an affection for this guy, which I can't explain other than the grace of God. So, um, and, you know, we still, when we think of it sometimes, there can still be emotions but we we have to we have to stand on what we believe and what we decided to do, and that's to forgive. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
for all of us, we, we can come to Jesus today. We can receive his forgiveness for ourselves. And really, no matter what we've been through, we can forgive others today. There's, there's a moment for us today where we come to this point that Larry and Vicki came to where we say, God, no matter how hard this is, I'm forgiving them. I want you to bless them. Actually, if we could just stand, I'd like to pray for us. You just hold out your hands. I'm going to just pray for all of us. And if you need to, just agree with me as I pray. Father, we, we come to you. We, we recognize that you're the great forgiver. And we ask you, Father, to... Show us how much you love us. Show us how much you've forgiven us, Jesus. If, if you're here this morning and you haven't yet received the forgiveness of Jesus, just receive that now. It's a gift from him. You just say, Lord, I want it. Jesus, I want you to forgive me. You can receive that now. You can receive it today, right now. Where you stand, you can receive this gift. If there's anything in your heart where you've not received the forgiveness of God for it yet, just receive that now. Father, we receive it. We receive complete forgiveness for our past sins, for our present sins, for our future sins. We recognize that you have, you've done it all in Jesus for us. If there's anything, just receive forgiveness from God right now. And Father, we say to you, if you've got an offender, if you've got someone that you've been holding a grudge against or holding, holding bitterness towards. Father, we release that person to you. Father, we, we say be done with this root of bitterness. We release them to you. Father, we forgive them. Just now where you stand, if you need to say their name quietly to yourself, if you need to pray quietly to yourself, it's important to say these words. I forgive that person. Not to ask that God would, but to say the words yourself. Father, I forgive this person. Father, I release this person. Just begin to ask God to bless them, to give you compassion for them. Forgiveness isn't the final step, it's the first step. The first step is a decision today. Father, we... We release them to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.